0: used to think success was something you had to be superhuman to achieve. That the successful were different from the rest of us. That you had to be born better than a normal human to achieve anything. But the successful are more similar to you and me than we thought. They're just real people. So I go talk with them. I'm Dakota O'Neill, and this is Real with O'Neill. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Real with O'Neill. I'm here with Richard G. Lowe, Jr., the Riding king and Thank you for being on the show, Richard. My pleasure. It's nice to be here. <laughs> All right. So this is actually our second run at this. So you kind of already know the drill. So how about we just get started? Why don't you tell us about your early life, how you got started and get us launched into your story?
1: Okay. Well, let's see. Um, I'll start from childhood then. When I was a child, um, this will relate directly to what I became. Um my mother uh, was very much in favor of reading. So I learned to read pretty early. I was pretty smart. Got into those scholastic book things in high school or, or college, excuse me, grade school. You know, the one where they, the scholastic people, it's a company can goes around to the students and says, buy books. I don't know if they still do it. Yeah, they do. They do a scholastic book fair. It's like a week long. Yeah. They used to come into the classrooms and you'd get a little catalog and and you buy what you wanted, and it'd be delivered a few weeks later. So I always bought up on those. We went to libraries and things, and they had little games, like you get a spider on your Halloween picture every time you get a book. It was fun. So I did a lot of reading. The very first a more or less adult-level book that I read was probably seven years old, and I picked up a book on the Battle of Iwo Jima, um, which was fascinating to me. Uh, I had trouble with it because I was only seven or eight years old, but it was interesting about that battle. And then I got fascinated by history, science fiction. So I started picking up science fiction. My very first book, science fiction book, was *Stranger in a Strange Land*, which is a very bizarre book. If you've ever read it, I've never read it. Can you tell me a little bit, a little bit about it, if you want to? Sure. Well, it postulates that there's a civilization on Mars, and that um, human being crashed on mars she had a child and then died and the martians raised the human baby to adulthood and then another m- human mission goes out there finds the baby shock shock of shocks who's now a young adult and brings him back to earth well it turns out he has powers and he starts um, he basically starts a new religion on earth and it gets kind of freaky and kind of weird and there's attacks and things and it was an interesting book at the time, um, way over my age level. It has a lot of sex in it. <laughs> so it was not something my mother would have approved of, but um, most of that stuff just went right over my head because I was too young to even know what it meant. And right. and it wasn't explicit or anything. It was it just, just was part of the plot. But the interesting thing about that book, looking at it from an older age is there are quite definitely there's quite definitely a change in Robert Heinlein after the middle of that book. So the first part of that book is more hardcore science fiction. And then it becomes all this freaky cultish kind of um, love commune thing. And his books before that are more hardcore science fiction. And his books after that get into this, they get more weird. So Heinlein went in, Robert A. Heinlein, who was the author, went through some kind of change in his life at that point and you can just see it in the writing it's very fascinating anyway so I read those and then got into fantasy reading um Lord of the Rings and then Sword of Shannara and um, a bunch of other books and did some writing uh, I was I was very much into science I love to collect rocks and learn about geology I wanted to become a geologist and, and actually minored in or majored in that in college uh, but got frustrated with it Um, why'd you get frustrated with it? Because of babbling idiot teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Bunch of rockheads, huh? Who didn't know how to teach. No, they just didn't know how to teach. (laughs) So they turned a subject that's actually very interesting when you're talking about continents and things going under each other and making volcanoes and stuff into something about as boring as you can imagine. Right. And it just it just turned me off. And at that time I also found a career. So I had a very early basis in reading. And, and some writing, I started a newspaper, a newspaper when I was in grade school. Whoa. Um, yeah, when in 1968, uh, when we were landing on the moon, and it had um, discussions about the moon. Back then there were things called Xerox machines and oh my god, they smelled like ammonia, they were horrible. And you basically wrote on these this type special type of paper and it created a stencil, and then you shoved it through the Xerox machine and it got printed so the teachers printed it for me it was about four pages long. And I did it for about a year and that was fun you were in grade school that was uh sixth, fifth or sixth grade yeah that's awesome
0: that's a really young age to be starting your own newspaper
1: yep 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 and then i moved over to um junior high school this was in san bernardino and it's called shandon hills junior high and that's because it's on a hill named uh, hillside it's, uh, hillside or uh, named shannon hills um There was an elementary school named Hillside that I went to. So Shannon Hills was interesting. And that was the very first year that they began desegregating this area. You're familiar with desegregation. Yes. And so they started shipping the black children over to our school and the white children over to that school. And the parents were horrified. (laughs) Both both sides. Um, I'll just touch on this briefly, but that's where... Before that, my, there was extreme amount of prejudice from both the parents and neighbors and things. And the concept that I got from them was, watch out for anybody who's different, especially black people, because they will kill you. <laughs> and did so you I let went. that
0: like stick with you? Like, did
1: you feel the same way? Were you worried about them coming to your school? I was, I was terrified, as was every student. So one day I'm getting on the bus I think it was the first day and I look around and there's one seat next to guess what? The one black kid who's on the bus Mm. and I'm terrified. I think I'm going to die. So I sit down next to him, you know, looking forward and stuff. And then I happened to glance at him and I realized he's just as terrified as I am. Wow. That's weird. So I started talking to him and we became best friends. And after that, any thoughts of prejudice or bias just flew my mind. It's like, this, that was just, people were just telling me stupid things this you know black people are just kids just like me I mean the kids you know I was hanging out with the kids so he became my best friend for a couple of years and I became his best friend and he was um he was fairly large so the white kids who were beating me up for because I was a nerd stopped beating me up so there were advantages <laughs> <laughs> That's so,
0: cool. I mean but, I mean I'm sorry you're getting beat up that's really cool that's a funny story
1: yeah and he didn't even know it he 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 wasn't aggressive or anything, and we we just spent a lot of time together, and I learned a lot about his culture, and I think he learned a lot about mine, and we became best friends. I lost track of him over the years after I moved out of the area, but um, um so that was my, after that, thoughts of being prejudiced or biased just slipped away. They were gone. I I just didn't listen to people anymore because it was, it was stupid. People are people, and I realized that at that early age. Right. So the other thing about Shannon Hills that was interesting is I was a science student and I made lots of scientific experiments, including um, uh, mixing chemicals together in the chemistry lab that killed all the animals in the (laughs) the (laughs) lab. I mean, all of them died. (laughs) We like rushed out of the lab, like, oh my God, we're gonna die. So they would evacuate things. And it was quite funny in hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was terrifying at the time. Uh, Well, it was terrifying to the adults. Uh, We kids were mostly like wow, we did that, <laughs> and other things like that. So then I, I continued to grow up and went to high school and totally lost motivation for for everything. My grades dropped from basically valedictorian up to then, you know, straight A's everywhere to right. D's. Um, well, we moved to Lake Arrowhead, and the atmosphere was very, very different. And the move was shocking. It was sudden. My parents wanted to start a um, a new business, a wildlife gallery where they basically, my dad was an artist. He painted wildlife pictures. And, and, um, um,
0: so you had kind of been around the same kids up until that
1: point and then they moved right? and you're in a whole new, okay. I get you. It was in a whole new environment. It was in the mountains. So before all of my friends were on the same block and we rode bikes together up in the mountains, we were all separated by a lot of distance. So I really didn't get the opportunity to make any friends, um, close by, Uh, High school students started to get into drugs and alcohol, mostly alcohol and pot. Um, Harder drugs weren't known then. And I tend to be very, um, very uh, adamant about my own beliefs. And I said, no, I'm not going to, I resisted completely. I've never actually tasted alcohol or pot or, or cigarettes. And, and that kind of pushed them away from me. So I became basically introverted Yeah. uh, on top of that, my parents always fought, argued, 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 argued. So I was being introverted anyway. And it just it just came to a head in high school where I introverted like crazy. Um, and then I graduated high school. It was like, thank God I'm out of this hellhole. And for me, it was a hellhole. Because all of the peer pressure to, to drink and to party and stuff and the the Teachers really didn't care, except for a couple. I had a couple of really good teachers. The rest of them didn't care or were actually malevolent. Mm. And um, it's bad when you have a malevolent teacher. And I had out of the six teachers per year, uh, at least four of them were were actually malevolent, meaning they were actually undermining the students who didn't measure up.
0: Oh, yeah. If if you didn't fit their expectations, if you didn't do what they wanted you to do, trust me, I've had a lot of similar experiences
1: yeah like in physical education mm-hmm. PE, pe i was very active before high school and then i hit high school and started hitting the pe teachers and i'm you know, you're supposed to go into pe to learn to 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 get your energy and to 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 exercise and be physical but the the really good students always got put on the football team and the and the ones who weren't so good not bad necessarily got sidelined which seemed to me to be counterintuitive because the purpose wasn't to build up the great football team the purpose should be that we learn and and get the benefits of physical education so I became more and more disillusioned from stuff like that and so I finally graduated um had a big fight with my mom she wanted me to go to prom and I said no I didn't (laughs) right it was more me uh being me being free rather than not free
0: and just for anyone who's of that age that might be listening do you
1: regret not going to prom oh no i don't regret it at all oh. I, I, I have few regrets in life and that one that no there it wasn't for me there, there there was a lot of alcohol this was way before drugs became big but there was a lot of alcohol and i just wasn't interested in it right and there was a lot of um other behaviors Uh, guys were doing the standard locker room talk and things. And I just wasn't interested in that. Right. I get what Um, you mean. I was not interested in that at all. So it it didn't turn me on. And then at the same time, the home life was going down. But then I became, uh, while I was in high school, when I was 17, actually when I was 16, I got a permit to work. My dad insisted that I get a job. So I got a job in a liquor store as the night manager for the liquor store and i was there for two years and i worked for um, a german u-boat commander and he was a u-boat commander in world war ii uh, he was an avowed nazi yeah um, um i think we talked about this the first time yeah he, he was very strict disciplinarian um and i learned a lot about discipline from him and what i really learned is when i noticed that i was the only one left after several months that turn the turnover is really high is what I mean. And that I kept remaining. I asked him why. And he said, because you're competent. And that stuck with me for my entire life is that competence is important. That you be competent. I didn't really know what it meant then. So I started looking at what I was doing versus what other people were doing. And I realized that I was being competent and they, they weren't. And, they got fired or laid off or quit or whatever. And I continued working there. Now it was, it was a challenge working there. He was a very strict guy and he had his own problems. Like one time he was, he liked to play chess. He was a chess master. So he invited me to, in the back room to play chess with him and he beat me in three moves. Yeah. He's He's good. And I was horrible. And then he started talking and he started talking about the war and how he had to surface his sub and he's crying by this time and shoot all the Americans and British on the water and kill them all, about 50 men. And he says, this war. And I'm 17 years old thinking, I am not a psychologist. I have no idea what to do. I don't know why he's telling me this. <laughs> I don't even want to hear it. And I was getting a little freaked out, but I managed to hold it together. And It was an interesting story but I got to see the war from the other point of view in that hour long that we talked actually two hours. So did Uh, he regret it? Like you said, he started crying and all that. Okay. He had to shoot them because first of all, they were all probably going to die. There was no place to put them on the boat and they were enemies. It was war. Right. How is he going to fit them on a U boat? There's no room. So it it was not, not a choice and it probably was an act of mercy in his mind, but in, in hindsight, I mean, it's freezing cold water. They're all going to die from drowning. Why not just take them out of their misery? So he justified it, but um, it was tough to listen to that. But I got to see the war for the first time from the other side. And it was kind of eye-opening. It's like, oh, there is another side. Interesting. I didn't even know there was another side. And <laughs> you know. well, still,
0: you know, the things that they represented aren't exactly the greatest. Well, of course, from a foot soldier's perspective, you know, you're kind of in the military. This is what you're told to do. This is what you have to do.
1: Of course. But that started me on another journey, which was there's always another side or several sides. So find out what's going on in the other side also to make a decision and start looking at all points of view or as many as you can find time for and come up with a decision based on that rather than just looking at your own point of view. That's very important for critical thinking. And that became very important to me as we went went through life.
0: So you mentioned the word competence a couple of times. What does competence mean to you?
1: Like what is the definition of that word in your mind? That you, first of all, that you're not ignorant, you know what to do. I mean, we're all ignorant. We all have, there's things that I don't know. Ignorance simply means you don't know. So you're not ignorant about say your job, you understand it. You have the skills. You can do it, and you can do it well. So, and, and you're not lollygagging around. I love that word. Um, <laughs> you're not just goofing off. You're actually doing your job and focusing on your job or whatever you whatever is going on. If if you're um, going on a trip, you're competent at that trip. You you can get to the destination, have a good trip, everybody has fun. You've put it together well. That's competence. Incompetence at a trip would be. You just kind of point the car in a direction and go. That can be fun, by the way, but but if you have a family along, it can be quite infuriating to everybody else because you're not sure where you're going and not sure what you're doing. You don't have you don't know where to stop for restroom breaks, uh, mm-hmm. all these kind of things. If you can just do a little planning, and show a little competence, they they can you can get there much better and have more fun. And it's the same with work that you can do it and you do it well, and you do it so well that. You could actually teach other people to do it. Okay. So uh, you worked at the liquor
0: store. You heard Tears. the other stuff. Yeah. What did you do after that?
1: Well, I, I that liquor store was going to close because they were going to build a shopping mall over the top of the very quaint, scenic Lake Arrowhead Village. So they burned down the entire village as a training exercise for the firemen. And I went to work for um, a supermarket for two years and went to college at the same time, the, the uh, junior college. And in junior college, I took a course because I had, I went in late and I had a hole to fill in my schedule. And there was only a couple things that could fill it. And one of the things was this, this thing that sounded really stupid to me called the basic language. And that turned out to be a computer language class and called basic. And I took it. And fell in love with with computers because I could make things happen. It would it would obey me. And up to that point, I'd lived with my parents, and basically my dad was very authoritarian, and I was more or less his slave. Okay. And I'm using that word intentionally. I did what he told me to do, and if I didn't, I would get beaten. Well, oh. You know hit or smacked or yelled at or verbally abused or whatever you want to, whatever was on his mind at the time. I didn't really get any tremendous, you know, beatings with a two by four kind of beatings, but they were beatings. And as I got older, that changed more into, I just, he just screamed at me. So, um, so I, I took the basic language course and I learned that the computer would do what I said. And I became very competent at the language. And in fact, I even wrote some computer games back in the early days. The, the computer games were very different. They were text only. There was no graphics. Right. And they were quite fun. And I ran into a game called Dungeon, which was the predecessor to Zork. And if you're old enough, you remember Zork. And if you're not, uh, take a look at it on the internet. It's quite an amusing game. It's all text-based. But that actually comes from Dungeon, which comes from Adventure, which is the very first role-playing game on a computer. And I fell in love. So I took the, I took some more classes in the year after that, and then I took an assembly language class which lets you basically control a machine at the machine level uh, way under the language. And um, that's when I really started to make a machine do what I wanted it to do. I could make it crash. I could make it the lights blink. I could make the disk drives actually hum. Uh, I could do all kinds of things that you couldn't do from code, from normal code. And my teacher, a guy named Rick, and his guest speaker um, named um, Steve Davis, um, and another guest speaker named Steve Edwards, they were a team. And one day they asked me, uh, before that, um, before they asked me, I met a guy named Don Wheeler and he got, he was given a reference by them to a job at a water district. And I was so jealous and Don got a, got a ticket, two tickets to a computer show. Um, These were big. This was one of the big industry trade shows called DECAS. And he needed to bring somebody along because he had two tickets. So, and he wanted some company. So I went along with him. That was my very first computer show. And I met, some of the big big names back then There were much smaller affairs back then because uh, the industry was very 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 small right this is like uh, before apple right way apple wasn't even gleam in somebody's eye yet right <laughs> this was in the 80, the early 80s and it was a digital equipment corporation and started started to enjoy it and then after that don got hired at the water district and then don called me up and said um, you know Rick has a job opening and then he cursed me out because he wanted that job opening but they gave him the water district instead <laughs> and then uh, and then I got a job for, for working for them, for them I was at first hired as a, as a coder and within a year I became the vice president of consulting managing multiple people probably at my height probably about a dozen people and we we did all kinds of computer projects. We did graphics boards, graphics cards. We did um, lots of technical stuff and it was very fun. And that's when I dropped out of college to join that company because uh, getting a real job versus working in stores and things. I mean, those are real jobs too, but this, was, this was, had a career path associated with it. Right. And also the situation between me and my dad had turned really ugly. We were arguing constantly uh, to where it was going to turn into violence. I mean, real honest to God, kill each other violence before too long. So I said, well, you know, um, it's probably better for me to move out. We had our last argument and he said, "Uh, if you don't like the rules here, you can leave. And I looked at him and said, nothing. I just got silent and walked away. And I realized, wow, I actually never thought about moving out before. Thanks for the... (laughs) Recommendation. <laughs> that was nice so within six months i had moved out and how old were you at
0: that
1: time um 19 19 i just turned 19. my parents made a bet with each other that my my sister promptly reported to me that i would come moving back in crawling on my belly within two weeks you can damn well bet i wasn't going to move back in anywhere after that <laughs> right uh, that's how hospital got where they actually said that he's going to crawl on his belly and beg to come back. And, and I didn't. And at that point, my career started to, to go higher and I worked for another company after that and same thing. And then I worked for um, two companies at the same time. As one was a VP and one was a senior designer that was for the water systems for Las Vegas Valley, New Haven, Connecticut, and Ohio water districts that actually controlled sluice gates on dams and tanks and things like that it was kind of cool and that company got bought and sold but I'd already left by then because I had the this was before the Reagan um, tax plan and if you made too much money under Reagan under pre-Reagan taxes basically I found out that I was making enough money where I actually lost money working two jobs I made less money after taxes with two jobs than I would have made just working one job. (laughs) That sounds wild. Also I was commuting. um, So I'd work in the after on the weekdays, I would work in Oxnard and then on the weekends I would fly to Vegas and work the weekend in Vegas. And I did that for six months and that got tiring. So I, I worked in North Long Beach for a while. That job went to hell after about, five years because a new person got hired who was the the VP of marketing. I was the VP of consulting and he didn't like me and it turned sour really bad. And I got married and then decided to look for another job. And a couple of days later, literally after I decided, I got a job offer from Trader Joe's and became the director of technical services and computer operations for Trader Joe's. And I was there for 20 years.
0: So what all did you do for Trader Joe's as the as the director for them?
1: Well, when you look at um, the computing the structure of the department, there was the development side, there was the store side, there was a network side, and there was the production computers side. Production being all the computers that service the organization for real. Development develops new things. And the stores were the production stores, so that was all of the cash register type stuff, and then the network was all of the firewalls and routers and things, so there were four people. I was hired as the, as the person in charge of the production side uh, in the corporate, so I was in charge of all the computers there, and I was in charge of, the, of a disaster site, which meant if the computers failed for some reason, like an earthquake, the disaster site would take over. I was in charge of computer security. All of the applications, so like AR, accounts receivable, accounts payable, and all those kind of things, merchandising. I was in charge of the warehouses. I was in charge of basically everything that had to do with the production. And I had a team of eventually eight people. Um, and it was um, it was very challenging and fun job. I liked it better than being the VP of consulting because it was a little less chaotic. Right. Uh, at least I knew what I was doing from day to day, but but there were there were a lot of crashes and things, and I was on call 24 by 7, so it was definitely just stressed. Adding to that, the stress of the marriage. Um, I don't remember if I told you my marriage story, but I, I, um, I'll just skip that for now. <laughs> oh, okay. It, well, I suppose I'll tell you. Um, you told me so last that, time about, about the, the sickness and how things right. went. But, Well, I I met a woman and we uh, named Claudia, or Claudia, because she's Guatemalan, so there's a Claudia. It's not Claudia, it's Claudia. And we went on a date, and then another date, and then the third date, so this is just three weeks, I asked her to marry me, and she said, sure. And we got, she said, when? And I said, how about today? So we, I called my two best friends, they came up. One of them, Mary Ed, spent the entire evening screaming at the top of her lungs at me. She was the diversion and <laughs> Guy spent the rest of the time talking to everybody and telling them these people are idiots and they barely know each other and they need to learn to be friends first. So when the marriage came, um, Guy and Mary had both stood up and said, no, when the preacher asked the question of, does anybody have any reason, you know, why these two shouldn't get married? And the marriage was called off. <laughs> wow. So I had to spend two days convincing my two best friends that it was okay for me to be married, which was kind of weird. (laughs) And then we were married uh, in a potluck wedding um, on the third day after that, which was very cool. It was a very nice wedding. Uh, Of course um, my wife and I didn't know about a thing called a marriage license because we never married before. Right. So we had to get married again at the justice of the peace. And then uh, he, he lost the marriage license so we had to get married again at the Justice of the Peace. So we were married four times <laughs> in the <a> space <laughs> of two weeks. It turned out to be the worst mistake of my life. Um, she, It was not a good marriage because, well, we didn't even take the time to know each other. And we had opposing goals. We did not get along. And she got horribly sick about a year into the marriage. And she was sick for m- probably 11 of the 12 and a half years we were together. And I'm talking sick as in, IVs in our arms being changed every couple of uh, twice a day type stick MRSA, COPD. That's a lung disease. MRSA is a hospital disease. It's a very serious, um, you say hospital disease. Yeah. MRSA is caught in hospitals. It has to do, it has to do with, um, um it's, it's, a it's resistant to all forms of antibiotics. It's one of those super bugs oh. that's that, Gets kind of bred, and it it tends to be in hospitals. I guess it's because a lot of sick people there. I'm not sure why. Anyway, she caught that several times. Um, And it was a rough marriage. Plus, work was very intense. Uh, Plus, I had a stepson, and it got intense, and things just got very stressful. So I became even more introverted. (laughs) Now, during this time, I wanted to be a writer. But life, a family, stresses this, and things got in the way. Hmm? By this
0: time, do you mean like this specific time, like after the marriage? Or do you mean like all of this time? Like All of this time.
1: Yeah, I wanted to be a writer, but there was too many responsibilities in the way. I did a lot of writing, but none, none of it was really published. When the web came out, I opened up a couple of websites and published hundreds of articles that probably got seen by no one. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote an autobiography which I published for the family, which they hated. Um, That got me disowned by the parents, uh, which I never understood because it was actually quite, quite um, redeeming towards them. I was very, very, had only good things to say, but they hated it. So life got very rough, but I continued. I persevered went through my boss, Fred. He, he left the company and then I worked directly for John Shields and John Shields is the best manager i ever had john shields was the ex-ceo of macy's and he became the ceo of trader joe's and his his um he was told to turn trader joe's from a 250 million dollar a year company into a billion dollar a year company and he did that and he really know how to flow flow power to people like when i went in there i mean i had a system that i needed to replace and i needed seventy five thousand dollars for it which at that time that was for a single computer and it was a it was a lot of money and i was terrified because if i'd gone to fred it would have been the nightmare from hell to try and get that approved if it got approved at all went into to john shields and he said are you sure we need it he asked a few questions he said okay go for it and and there you go uh that was like, wow, that was, that was easy. So a couple of days later, I went in to ask for, to hire a person. And he looked at me and he says, you don't have your, all your ducks in a row yet. He just knew it. And I said, um, okay. He says, work on it for a while and come back to me. So I worked on it for a while and came back to him and said, I'm ready now. And he said, okay, go for it. Hmm. And it was, he was that kind of guy where his, his idea was basically, he was in charge of finance. I was in charge of tech. And if the tech, if I had since I, if I didn't know what I was doing, I shouldn't be there. Right. And it was very uplifting to have a boss finally that actually believed in me. And he's the first and only boss that I've had that experience with. And it worked out pretty well. I was working for about a year, and then I got a, had a new boss come in. And that was more of a boss. He I mean, was fine. He was just a boss. You know, nothing really bad, nothing really good, <laughs> just a boss. Right. Worked for him for the rest of that. Still had this dream in the back of my head about being a writer. Then, um, So I was there for 20 years, actually almost 20 years. Now, my wife passed away, and I went to Joshua Tree, climbed up to the top of a mountain called Skull Rock, um, and it looks exactly like a skull. You, you look at the front of it, and there's two eyes, and a, you know it just looks like a skull. So I climbed to the top, sat on it for a while, and decided what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I mean, my wife just died. That was pretty much all I've done for the past few years was take care of her. What do I do now? The first thing I decided was life is short and life. I can make my own happiness or I can make my own hell. It's up to me. First of all, nobody else cares. (laughs) And second of all, um, who else has the power over me other than me? So I made a lot of decisions and I started photographing national parks, I photographed all the national parks in the Southwest US, all the state parks, and then all um, a lot of the local parks, um, but I ran out I finally decided that was enough. And then I started going to Renaissance fairs and ran into um, all the fair people and became like an honorary fair member their photographer and they actually hired me many times to photograph the fairs. I actually visited over 400 fairs flying all over the country. Some hired me, some didn't just taking pictures of all the Renaissance fairs that I could find for the next few years, next, uh, what, 12, uh, 10 years. You were doing then that would... while you were working at Trader Joe's, weren't you? Oh yeah. Weekends and after work. Uh, I'd fly out Friday night and fly back Sunday night to a fair or to a show. Uh, I ran into belly dancers And um, immediately fell in love with the aesthetics of the capes and colors and things and the dance and became a belly dance, um, became the belly dance photographer for Southern California. I was very well known. I did 1,200 photo shoots. And that was fun. I had a birthday party every year for eight years where over 100 dancers would come and dance for me at a party because I gave them pictures for free. So they figured Mm -hmm. they wanted to do something for me how many people can tell you that? Right. Right. Um, you know, and they, there was, they were all fun parties and I was, there were a few guys there and husbands and things and that was about it and me and everybody else was dancers. So I'd rent a, I eventually wound up renting the community center in Monrovia, which was great because there was a back room where they could put on makeup and stuff and they loved it. And it always looked like a, gl- a glitter bomb went off in there after they were done. <laughs> Literally, it took us an hours to get rid of all the glitter. (laughs) I doubt you probably ever did. There's probably still glitter there. Probably. (laughs) Probably. The very first one I did was I rented a pirate shop, and I had about 10 dancers or dancing groups come, and that was a fun one. So they all danced in the big bonfire in the middle, and it was fun. And then um, I was coming up on my 50th birthday and i decided to get tattoos Uh, i was hanging around with people who had tattoos and i like them so i got two big tattoos one on each arm a dragon and a phoenix
0: you didn't tell me about this last time
1: nope didn't (laughs) Uh, i brought a friend along who was an who's an indian i think he pronounced a barthanthanum dancer she's a traditional indian was in country of india dance very nice lady and her job when I, was, she was there was to laugh every time I screamed in pain <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to lighten the mood. So she had a great time cause she laughed a lot. I sat in the chair on the first one for eight hours, except for the uh, lunch break. And, uh, that was very painful and it's the, that's the Phoenix. And then on the other side, it took 16 hours, but I did it over, over four weeks. And then okay. I had a couple of snakes, a couple of snakes and a, and a spider and and stuff they're all power symbols what, do they
0: mean? Well, what kind of power symbols
1: well a dragon is a powerful being um, a phoenix if you read the story of the phoenix you'll understand phoenix is extremely powerful right the coral, coral snakes are poisonous and uh, of course the black widow spiders poisonous so they're all power
0: okay i got you
1: and they all tend to be like shy and except if they're pissed off and that was kind of the the thing. Like a dragon is a charming, intelligent, wonderful creature until you piss it off. <laughs> right. So don't. <laughs> and uh, I had the top tattoo artist in the country. Yeah, one of the top ones. His name is Zulu. Do it. Uh, that was fun. And then um, I'm, as a couple more years went by, I thought, you know, I'm tired of the the nine to five and I'm tired of all the stress from the job. And it's, it's, I want to pursue the writing and I have enough money in several places to give myself a little bit of runway, (laughs) several places (laughs) like, like retirement fund and best bank account and stuff, investments and things. Right. So I'm going to jump off the cliff and I quit Trader Joe's gave him seven weeks notice and um, uh, moved to Florida had to, had to, before that had the last belly dance party that i had to rent two places one one evening one another it had over 200 dancers it was quite fun um because it was, it was going to be the last one i did flew back again the following year for another one just i fly flew in, in the morning and flew out in the evening it was kind of a hectic day <laughs> right but that, that came later and um uh, on my birthday i moved i left So on my birthday, I moved out and, and, uh, got on the truck and my, my dancer friend, the Indian dancer, she's actually from Sri Lanka came with me. She said, you're not going alone. So she came with me and we, so I had the truck, bring the stuff over there and I got to Florida settled in. What made you pick Florida? Uh, as far away from California as I could get without like Hawaii and I don't like Hawaii. Okay, I got you. And it seemed like um, a little bit more laid back in California because it's like retirement area. Right. And it turns out it is pretty laid back. I mean, you hear all kinds of crazy stuff in the news, but you just got to look at the source. It's all the, <laughs> Florida, man. It's all the left wingers. <laughs> left-wing newspaper, left-wing media is what I should say. Not the left-wingers, the left-wing media that tends to portray Florida badly, but it's actually not. It's actually pretty conservative. But middle of the road, it tends to be middle of the road. Right. At least, at least the area where I'm at. So got here, sat down thought, okay, <laughs> well, I have jumped off the cliff. I've got a little money and I better damn will be able to make it work. Now I'm reading a book, um, right now, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography. It's called, um, total recall, my unbelievably true life story. And one thing that he says in there very clearly is do not ever have a plan B.
0: Oh yeah. I watched an inspirational video with him and he talks about that people perform better without a safety net is what he says.
1: No safety net. It means you cannot fail. And that's where I was. That's the position I was in. I couldn't fail. Um, So I didn't, I started working at a, um, I mean, I started going to writer's critique groups to critique my writing. I ran into a guy who started a a ghostwriting company and he hired me to write a couple books. I got a whole thousand dollars each for them. I quickly realized that a thousand dollars to write a book was pennies. Yeah. I mean, it's just simply not doable. Um, and he kind of said, you know, you're not going to get more. It's a lot of work. He, he wasn't malicious or anything. He just kind of had the attitude like, you know, you should just stay here because it's, it's too tough of a business for you. The day after I quit, I had a $10,000 contract. And two days later, I had a $15,000 contract. And that was my first big contracts. Uh, those were both for books. Um, one of them is still there. It's still being sold. And the other one, yeah, both of them are still out there. They're both being sold.
0: There's something I wanted to ask you that I thought about since last time. Uh, how do you market your services as a ghostwriter? Because you can't exactly provide people with examples of work you've
1: done, can you? Well, I got my own books. I've published 60 books of my own. All right, 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 I've got several clients who've given me permission. I've also got several clients who've given me permission to be a reference. And I use LinkedIn and my website. to to pull in people. And most of my business I get by direct um, cold email or cold LinkedIn mail, where I just write somebody saying, Hey, you know, I read through your profile and I see that you're interested in this subject and this subject and this subject. And, you know, I've written some books on it. Have you ever thought about that? And probably one in 50 comes back and says, yeah, I've thought about it. Uh, What do you propose? And then we get to talking and sometimes, of course, they don't have the money because I'm not cheap. And sometimes they say, yeah, that's fine. Let's go for it. And at my rates, I need um, I need probably 10 of those kind of contracts per year, and I'm set. And this is an important datum I'm going to give you. This is extremely important. It's just as hard to get a $10,000 contract as it is to get a $100 contract. It's the same level of difficulty. Okay. So why would you be trying to get hundred dollar contracts?
0: Fear. Fear is the main thing that motivates people to do small things.
1: Yeah. Well, that, I figured that out right away is that the, the small end contracts are the work to get them is still the same amount as the work to get a 10,000 or $50,000 contract or whatever. So I focus on the larger contracts, usually 10 to 20. And um, that works. That works. So I don't spend so much time looking for the somebody who wants a paper written, or I mean, I do write articles, but I don't look for the the low end stuff because it's simply not worth the time to find them and market them, market to them, and talk to them and talk them into it. By then, I've already lost any any profit based on time. Right. So that's extremely important when you're starting a business. Is you have to look at how much time you're going to spend marketing that business. Versus how much time you're going to make, how much money you're going to make from what you market. And if the ratio is wrong, don't do it. (laughs) I I can understand that. Now, I've tried a number of, now there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, Affiliate marketing, I tried affiliate marketing, which is where you sell other people's products. You can make that work, even though you're only selling a $10 product, because you're selling to the masses, you're selling a lot of them. Right, and I I did that for a while. I made over ten thousand dollars in a six month period selling affiliate marketing stuff, selling other people's stuff, and you're just piggybacking on somebody else. Um, I found out the affiliate marketers, as a rule, um, with exceptions, are, tend to be kind of scummy. The mm-hmm. products tend tend to be on the low end. They tend not to be impressive, and and I don't want to do didn't want to be in that business, so I gave it up. I sold eBay for a while, made thirty-five grand. So, if anybody's really tight on money and you got a bunch of junk in your house, sell it on eBay. I made thirty-five grand in one year.
0: (laughs) What kind of stuff were you selling?
1: Just junk that I owned, you know, books and DVDs and old furniture and printers and you know stuff.
0: Huh? Is that true enough?
1: Yeah, just junk that I had in storage and things that I needed to get rid of anyway. Right. And uh, I sold about a thousand things, made about thirty-five thousand dollars. And then um, realized I got to the point where I didn't have any more junk to sell. And I started to cut into stuff that I wanted to keep. And I, okay, I'm done with this. And it's just too much work for me. I made, I was making good money, but it was too much work. Cause you got to ship it. You got to handle returns. You got to do the advertising. It, it's, it's a lot of physical work. So no, nope, not going to do that. And I tried other businesses, uh, lots of other businesses, um, online tutoring, that didn't work out very well. The, the ghost writing is what worked out very well because I can, I have the skills to do ghost writing. I'm a good writer. I'm good with tech, and I can write. I've just just landed actually since our last talk uh, two weeks ago. I landed a children's book contract, which starts tomorrow.
0: Oh, that's awesome! What kind of children's
1: so gonna, book? What's it going to be about? It's uh, going to be teaching children about technology.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You're a good fit for that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was her, I was her only choice and she, I did, didn't go up for bid. Sometimes these projects go out for bid and those are the ones that are a little stressful because you're like, okay, am I going to get it or not? You know, and you're up against somebody who's, who actually does have visible credentials. That's one of the problems that you just mentioned is the visible credentials. I have the credentials. I can write anything, but they're not always visible. Right. Somebody who say a, a journalist with a Pulitzer Prize he has visible credentials because that person putting his name on the cover of a book will also generate sales. His or her name, right? And my name on the cover doesn't generate sales because I'm I'm not a Pulitzer Pulitzer Prize winning author. And when I go up against one of those, I'm not going to get the project. But it doesn't matter. There's plenty of work out there. Something that about, I, no, I'm sorry. You go ahead for. Go ahead.
0: I was, I was said, I thought about stuff like that, uh, before, do, uh, do you know, Matthew McConaughey recently, recently released a book called green lights. I did not. Yeah. I heard about it on a, a podcast that I listened to and it's, uh, I got to think about it cause I, I had dabbled in writing for a minute and, uh, I was like, it's kind of strange that he can write a book, could write a book. Matthew McConaughey being a famous actor could write a book at any moment and it'll be a bestseller, whether it's a good book or not. Yeah, yeah. And then it's crazy that there are books out there that are probably way better books that don't get do nowhere near as much attention. And what you just said reminded me that it's like visible credentials. Even if it's not related, if you have an audience and people know about what you do, then other things will be easier too.
1: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. He probably ghost wrote that book. Had somebody ghost write it. Uh, almost certainly. Uh, when you think about it, actors aren't writers, right? I mean, that doesn't mean they can't write and that doesn't mean all of them are ghostwritten and um, he may have written it himself. I have no idea, but anytime you see a book by a politician or by a sports figure or by an actor, you can almost bet with good cause that, that they have a ghostwriter or at least a coach because they're not writers, just like I'm not an actor. Right. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the book now on Amazon. Interesting. I'll check it out later. But well, here's <laughs> anyway. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, Sorry for distracting you. That's okay. Some some lessons that I've learned are, uh, I, I do I do agree with Arnold Schwarzenegger that to heck with the plan B. Go with your plan A and make it work. And if you, if for some reason it doesn't work, then you're going to be punting, and that's fine. But go with your plan A. Whatever that is, make it work. And if you if you don't have a plan B, you have to make plan A work. You have no choice. Right. That's all you can think about. Right. Make sure you have the skills to do what you need to do and the knowledge to do it. So if you're going to go into eBay selling, for example, then make sure you research eBay selling. You could buy my book, How to Sell on eBay, for example. <laughs> um <laughs> Which was what? Which is my second best-selling uh, Kindle best-selling book? I think it sold five thousand copies. It's it's pretty good. It's it's entry level.
0: Okay, so is uh, I, I, uh It's on read, Amazon. It's on Amazon. Awesome. Uh, I read your. Uh, I was gonna say I read your biography on Amazon, and uh, they talk about how you make your books really easy for anyone to understand, and how that they give a really good core information on almost every subject you write about. So what are a few of the other books that you have out while we have this subject brought up?
1: Well, how to sell on eBay is, is again, it's a basic book. So if you're looking for advanced sales techniques, it's not the book for you, but if you want to, if you're jumping into eBay and you just want to learn how it works, it's a good book. Um, I have a focus on LinkedIn, which is a slightly dated because LinkedIn was bought by Microsoft since then, but it has the basic concepts are still the same. So that was my best seller. I think that sold 15,000 copies or something like that. Um, okay. and it's a good, it's a good fast read and you'll learn all about how to use uh, LinkedIn. Um, I've got, uh, well, let me, you can go to, um, cool is the link. I actually have a link that goes straight there. Go straight to my Amazon one. Um, I have, um, a bunch of books like "Help, My Job Sucks," "Help, I've Lost My Job," "Help, My Boss is Wacko." Um, one of my favorites is "How to Be Friends with Women," which takes my experiences photographing all those women. Uh, a couple fiction books, um, real uh, real world survival which is "How to Survive a Disaster." Probably is a pretty good book for nowadays, given all the natural disasters we've been having. "Unlikely Hero" is a is a very quick read I probably could read it in a couple hours it's called a short kindle ebook and it is about it's fiction and it's about a guy who um an evil very evil guy he's a criminal and he finds uh, he gets captured by some terrorists and then finds out that they have a nuke and it's set to a 90 minute fuse in the middle of la so what's he going to do and the book follows his thought patterns and what he decides to do with that that nuclear warhead in a trunk of a car and that was fun to write Uh, because it's a very a to b plot because it's short and a lot of coloring books um i got the idea of doing coloring books it was one of those affiliate marketing things and uh the first one sold like a thousand copies and after that they were they didn't sell at all (laughs) Mm -hmm. The, the belly dancer coloring books sold pretty well um Lots of other books out there. Coolauthor.com is my link to my Amazon page. Uh, so, yeah. There's three
0: in particular. i am looking through your Amazon page right now. Uh, there's three books in particular that have really caught my eye. Mm-hmm. The how to create your own zombie apocalypse. If that's a fiction one. Yeah, that's a good one. Belly dancers coloring book. Really love that. Yep. And then, uh, the human rights coloring book. Yeah. That one was interesting. I read in one of your profiles that you're very passionate about human rights and those types of things. What's uh, what caused that and what, what kind of activities do you do in the human rights community?
1: Well, my main activities is making that coloring book and just keeping up on it. I'm passionate about it because my own journey has been fighting against um you know, basically a father who was very domineering and, and leaving the companies that became very domineering and restrictive. Um, obviously I haven't gone through the same kind of things as other people and they haven't gone through what I've gone through. Uh, I I would have, would in no way, well, I'll, I will go on this tangent. It's like, um, I was, um, I was talking I was in a conversation. I was one of the people in a conversation and there was this lady there and there was a, a black lady there. And she was talking about black lives matter. And the white lady said, don't all lives matter. And I just looked at the white lady thinking you don't have a clue. Do you? <laughs> mm. uh, that's not the point.
0: <laughs> that's like, if a house in a neighborhood's on fire, you don't scream at the fireman. Why aren't you spraying
1: all the houses? Right. Right. So my answer was, I understand. You're Right black lives do matter which is the right answer now i'm not black i didn't go through the black experience just like i'm not hispanic and i'm not you know i don't i didn't go through their experiences so i have no i i don't have any knowledge other than what i've read in a book or talked to people about so they're they're the ones who understand their background and they're the ones who understand their culture and they're the ones who understand the impact of something like slavery on their on their culture i have an understanding I was gonna write a book on slavery but it became too hard I mean it literally was too emotional I mean if you really look into slavery and look at what it was it's like oh my god <laughs> it's it's bad what most it's, people
0: don't realize is like uh, that like uh, I've seen media depictions of like old slaves like in movies and stuff like some like 50 60 year old slave with gray hair and everything that didn't exist right. They, they survived Wait. an average of about three years after arriving in America.
1: I mean, the slavery in America, um, both Indian American Indians were slaves and black people were slaves and lots of other minorities were slaves. And we forget about the other minorities, too. Um, it's right up there with the Holocaust in, in horror. I mean, it's bad. Almost. Oh, I, I couldn't write anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. And I, I talked to some black people and things and, and had a lot of interviews and stuff and then just abandoned it because. It's like I, I can't do this <laughs> right i mean i mean i wasn't part of that culture uh i've looked back at my genealogy as far back as i can go which is 97 bc and i don't i haven't come across any um slavery i'm sure there were but i mean i haven't come across any in my immediate line so there's no slavery in my cultural background and no slavery in my background and how could i understand it truly how could I truly understand it? So when, when the white lady said, you know, all lives matter, I just looked at her and shook her head. Of course, you know, it it shook my head rather. It's just, you don't get it. (laughs) That's not, it's like you said, yeah, you need to put out all the fires all over the neighborhood. Yeah. How about worrying about the one that's going right now? (laughs) Right. But but that's my one. That's the one thing I'll say is, is, um, you know, it, it i i'm not sure that i can get it but i can at least talk to people and try and understand from a rational point of view what their viewpoint is right you know why do you say that tell me about it i want to hear and talk more about it more about it more about it, without getting emotional and learn um and learn more about cultures. I love learning about cultures. That's why diversity to me is a big. That's part of human rights to me is diversity. Diversity is a big deal for me. I mean, why wouldn't we be diverse? My team at Trader Joe's was one of the most diverse you've ever seen. I had um, two black people. I had a um, Cuban, you know, a white person. Um, I could go on. The Mexican. You know, I had all these different peoples in there because I didn't care. Can the person do the job? And women, you know, can the person do the job? That's all I care about.
0: Right. And that's the way it
1: should be. Uh, it seems like whenever you encounter people,
0: whether you entirely agree with them or not, you at least try to consider their point of view. And that that's whether you're around, you know, people of different ethnicities or whether you're around a Nazi or anyone, you try to understand where they're coming from.
1: Yeah, you yeah, know i've done a lot of reading um, you mentioned nazis and i do understand where nazis are coming from and i probably wouldn't hang around a nazi <laughs> right now as an adult i mean i worked for one as, a, as a, in high school because i didn't really understand what a nazi was right now i wouldn't work for the man but back th- that was my boss at uh, the, the liquor store but now um it would be totally different i would be like nope we're not doing that um Like I said, like if one came to me now to want to write a book, I probably wouldn't do it unless the book was about how he converted or something like that, Right. which does happen. It's very rare, but it has happened where he became not a Nazi. I might write that kind of book, but I wouldn't write a book glorifying Nazism. I just wouldn't. I've I've actually turned books down like like that down. I get them all the time. Uh, That kind of book where they want to glorify something that I don't agree with. I turn it down.
0: That's good. That, that shows strong moral values.
1: Integrity is the only thing you got, really, when you look at it. You got your life and your integrity. And if you lose your integrity, you're going to lose your life eventually. Well, that's, hmm. that's you're to, It doesn't matter whether you lose it or not. Eventually, you're going to lose your life, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I do know what you mean. Uh,
0: so, we're getting pretty close to an hour here. Do you want to take a minute to shout out a few of your services where to find you, or do you want to sure go over any... real quick before we wrap things up
1: well i was lucky in that i found we didn't spend a lot of time on the writing um right true but that's fine but i what i found is that my um i found the passion the intersection of my passion with the ability to make money with the ability to help people so i have three intersections in my life i can help people who need a book to help themselves and My passion is writing, and I can make an income at it and a good income. When somebody tells you uh, you should get a career that's your passion, that's actually pretty bad advice. That's only part of the advice because what if you can't make a living at it? What if your passion is making paper airplanes? (laughs) You're probably not going to be able to make a living at it. Right. So you need to find that intersection of your passion with income, with, say, some kind of help, I think. To me, the help is important. But maybe it's not for you, but whatever. And I was able to do that. And you also need to market and sell. And that's something else Arnold Schwarzenegger says in his book is that selling is part of your entire life. You will always be selling yourself. And you have to sell yourself. If you have any problems with selling yourself because you're too shy or you think you shouldn't be building yourself up or whatever, get over it. (laughs) nobody else is going to sell you unless you pay them. So sell yourself. You have to sell yourself and you have to come up with whatever benefits you have to offer people and sell those benefits, do it. So if you're going to, if you're looking for a job, you're selling yourself. If you're looking, if you're, if you're a consultant, you're selling yourself. If you're a writer and you're selling your books, you're actually selling yourself because why do you buy a, um, you know, Stephen King book, you buy it because it has the word Stephen King on it. If it was by Joe Blow, the exact same book, you wouldn't buy it, probably. You wouldn't even know it exists. Right. It's he sells stuff because of his name. And then on, then on top of that, he's a great writer. Right.
0: But
1: That's how he, he got has, his name. Right. Well, he got his name because he could sell himself and he right. sold himself. That's how screenwriters make it. That's how everybody makes it. So, whatever you're good at, make sure that you can make money at it and make sure it's your passion. And that's all important. I worked in in the computer field for 33 years and it wasn't my passion. It made a lot of money for me. It made an income, paid for the family, paid for stuff. It also enabled me to go forward with my writing career, but it certainly wasn't my passion and I certainly wasn't happy. And I was making myself sick. And now it's a career. I'm helping people. I'm making a good income and I'm happy. And I'm not under a hell of a lot of stress all the time. Um, and that's good. My whole life has changed because of that. And the other thing is be open to other ideas and other cultures and other peoples. We only talked a little bit about that, but it's really important. Um, Facebook and all the other social media tends to put you into what's called an echo chamber where you only see things that you agree with. And that tends to make people not see other viewpoints So if you're on the left you don't you don't understand even how the right could even consider things and the same on the right you don't understand how the left could even consider thinking those things they must be stupid that's called an echo chamber and you need to get out of that echo chamber and start looking at what's real what are those people people on the whatever say you're on the left what do those people on the right really think and you know what you're going to find is they're just people trying to survive make a living and they have their own concerns that may or may not be valid, but they are their concerns. So maybe it might be a better thing rather than shaming them and yelling at them and things to find out what those concerns are and then work with alongside of them to address those concerns and come up with a way forward rather than this divide we seem to have now, which is just stupid. And by the way, the divide's not new. You look at history, it goes all the way back.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's it's not new at all.
0: Back to Hamilton and Jefferson,
1: even further than that, really. Probably before that. and You start looking in the past, you see race riots and things going all the way back. And you can see these exact same topics going all the way back. And if you think Trump was the worst president, (laughs) look at some of the older presidents, man. They were pretty bad. The difference is Trump had the TV and the older presidents didn't
0: i wanted to ask you about that um living through the the presidency you you mentioned reagan right Uh How, how did like did people talk about him while he was president i know he's legendary now everyone knows his name but did people
1: talk about him the way we talked about trump yes but there wasn't as much there wasn't social media right and and there were only three or four stations on tv that was it you didn't have bazillion stations you didn't have all these different channels and those stations were heavily regulated what they could say so it was different but people despised reagan or loved him one or the other and he was in some ways a good president and in some ways a horrible president he came within in within a nanometer of blowing us off the planet from war, a nuclear war hmm. um but there were other things about him that were good. He was an actor who became president. He wasn't a particularly good actor either. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it's just like uh, uh, John F. Kennedy. He's, he's almost idolized today. But at the time, he was not thought well of at all. Take a look at the contemporaneous newspapers and you'll see the man was despised. At least he was one not, person hated him. Who's that? Oh, the person who shot him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you're assuming he didn't do it for money. Um, True. Or because he was. you're assuming he was sane. True. Um, yeah, but, but um, he was not well thought of. But he had some accomplishments like getting us to the moon. And if you ever look at the moon project, oh, my God, they were going up in a tin can. <laughs> it's amazing that it got off the ground at all. Did you know that each of those Apollo ships were basically hand built? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they tried to remake. They had a project where they tried to remake some of the engines, and they found out that the engines were basically hand built. Wow! They weren't. I mean, they were on assembly lines, but then then people came in and found this little bug, so they put some wire in and some stuff to make it work. It was. An, it's an amazing project when you start looking at it. The Apollo project is truly amazing. That's a little off topic. Um, You know about a lot of stuff, Richard. I do a lot of reading. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I keep my eyes open. I keep my eyes open. Um, You 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 also, yeah,
0: there's a couple things that we skip. You also have, like, uh, produced and directed belly dance performances before, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I did about 20 shows that I produced. And um, I didn't direct them, but I produced them and sponsored them and uh, hired a director and had a bunch of dance hire they were all um by hire they were they were volunteers right but um had a bunch of dancers dance for shows and things uh, like um uh one was a halloween show and one was a uh, they were all kind of special shows and they generally the money went to some kind of charity like for abused women and things which i thought was a very good thing to have it is you know, that we should help that we should always help people in, in ways that we can but we need to make sure it generally goes to help that's why i never gave to united way because about five percent of it goes to people who it needs to go to and the other 95 percent is overhead mm. so you got to always research where your money's going is it actually doing something or is it just filling pockets is it just a tax write-off yeah yeah so i never gave to united way because of that instead i'd rather go to directly to a homeless person and hand him 10 bucks right or her 10 bucks you know Uh, What else Uh, didn't we go over? Oh, uh, there was something
0: else. Oh, uh, your memberships. You have a bunch of memberships to like state park councils and you write for various blogs. I I was looking through your profile on something earlier and I saw it. You have a very long list of things that you're a part of. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yeah. I'm a member of, of several national parks associations, botanical gardens, places I used to hike, uh, just, um, I did a, some incredible trips through the Grand Canyon that were awesome, and through Joshua Tree National Park. I used to go there all the time. Um, used to give a donation to all of the, like uh, Huntington Park, which is a beautiful place in California. If you ever get the chance to go there, go there. Very relaxing. Uh, a lot of movies were shot there too, by the way, in Huntington Park. Huntington Library, excuse me. Um, there's a West Wing that was shot there and if you know the park if you know the library you know where they shot it it's like oh yeah right there (laughs) i know where they are they have this big arched um, bridge that's supposed to be a japanese bridge that is very unique and very distinguished and you if they shot near that lake you can tell (laughs) for example it's like i know lake i know lake airhead so well and san Bernardino mountains that i know where all the movies were shot like a lot of breaking bads were shot up there and i know right where they shot it because i was there (laughs)
0: that's awesome
1: there was this video by, um, it's one of the videos for Radioactive by a different group, um, the song Radioactive, and they shot it in Salt Lake in some of the ruins. And I've been right where they were standing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's all run down. It's horrible. But they did a pretty good video. <laughs>
0: uh, and then I want to talk about if you have
1: just I have a, a few more on. minutes, sure. All right. Uh, the World Mermaid Awards Convention. It's the, yes, that was fun. That was in uh, Las Vegas in the Silverton Hotel. So I, I was one of the photographers and went in there and photographed about 50 mermaids. Two of them were um, supermodels. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. So what is, what what kind of awards is it? Like, how does that work? Oh, okay. Okay. I was wondering, yep. did like, how is there a membership association for professional mermaids that I was unaware of? I was just—I'm
1: sure there is. There's apparently a lot of mermaids out in Florida. I haven't really looked, but um, these are people who dress up in mermaid outfits, and those are mermaid outfits, by the way, cost thousands of dollars if you get a good one. Oh yeah, and there, it's that was a unique thing. I only went to one mermaid show, and that was it. Um, I think it's called the Annual World mermaid beauty pageant or something like that it was the first one and i think it's the only one it was it was fascinating uh, and the interesting thing is a lot of these women actually think they are mermaids <laughs> <laughs> like they're convinced of it like in a past life or you know something i mean they they think they really are and they enjoy it and it um hannah fraser she's the uh supermodel one of the supermodels she t- made a video of her swimming in her mermaid outfit next to a whale and it's quite beautiful. She did a great job. That's awesome. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting times I ever had, slight slight subject change, I used to photograph the WWE live, and I got to photograph The Undertaker and a few other misslers. Those were That was fun, too. That's
0: awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, that was one of the things I saw that I meant to bring up.
0: Yeah, was the WWE. How did that even get started? How would you get noticed by the WWE?
1: I didn't. I, they didn't hire me to do anything. Uh, I went to their... I paid the seven hundred dollars for a front row seat, um, a couple, three, four times. The interesting thing about when you pay for one of those front row seats is you get to keep the chairs. You can bring them home with you. Oh, that's crazy! Yeah, they're folding chairs with, the, with pictures on them, and mine has a picture of the Undertaker, who I always admired. He's considered um, like the father of of the wrestlers. He they go to him for advice and things. I've watched his biography. He's he's they always speak to him in loving terms. He's a really good guy. I haven't really met him. Other than standing a few feet from him and saying, hello, <laughs> and watching him <laughs> jump off the turnstile. He's huge. He's he's six foot seven or something like that. And he's a huge guy. But uh, well, we, I got into that because, interestingly enough, the wife and I did not see eye to eye on anything. And the one thing that we seemed to like together was watching wrestling, believe it or not. So we, three times a week, watched all of the WWE. Back then it was WWF. until they got sued and changed their name by the World Wildlife Federation. Oh. Uh, they lost. And so they changed to the WWE. On all their old videos, they had to blur out WWF. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. And uh, we used to watch it. We used to watch Steve Austin and The Rock and all those people fight she'd go Kill him, yell she'd get into it
0: <laughs> who's your Start, favorite wrestler
1: i would have to say uh, mick foley he used to play mankind he was a guy who came out in a straight jacket. Oh, okay and he um he's a comedian now so he's he does comedy shows around the country he's really funny and he's he's a really nice guy i also like the undertaker uh,
0: that's awesome yeah so uh this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, My pleasure. Real quick before we end the recording, you want to tell people where they can find your services, your website, and whatnot.
1: Yeah, uh, go to thewritingking.com, and there you go. There you are. Uh, there's a form on there. You can contact me or even schedule an appointment. And if you need some services, I do a writing coaching by the hour. So if you want, if you need some writing coaching, just come on and get some coaching. If you need a book written. I can help with that. If you need blog articles, I can help with that. Uh, also, if you've got a podcast and you need a guest, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the T H E writing
0: King.com. And then you can also find your books at coolauthor.com that will direct you to his Amazon page.
1: Right. And then I have a um, fiction masterclass, which is my, some courses that I've written. So fiction masterclass.com. Um, And then uh, if you want to see my pictures, they're at richardlowjr.com.
0: All right. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been awesome.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure. Bye, everybody.